Uh, we're going to look at Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17, which you probably haven't looked at for quite a while and probably won't look at in the next few weeks. It's kind of a dry passage in the sense that it's all names. If I would ask for volunteers to read scripture, this is one most of us would say, no, not me, forget this one. I ain't doing this one. Um, I'm going to add a little commentary in between some of the names uh, just to get a little flow and rhythm for it, and then we'll uh, unpack it. And we'll see that this is a treasured piece of scripture that uh, the Lord has given us by his Holy Spirit. Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17. Now, as soon as Matthew starts his book in the New Testament, we are confronted with history, a written account, a record of what has happened up until now. God has been working his purposes out generation by generation, many times in spite of his people. But the promise still stands, and now the promise is fulfilled. This is what Matthew points us to. Listen. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. God made a promise to turn this family that was at a dead end to a family that would bless the world. Abraham was without an heir. Isaac was the son of promise. Jacob was on the run early in life. Yet God blessed this family to be a blessing. Now at verse 3. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Now here we have the first of five women that are mentioned in this genealogy. That was an odd thing to do. Matthew is calling attention to the strength of God's promise. Out of dire circumstances, God still held on to this family. Verse 4. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nation. Nation, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. The family journeyed through the faithless and violent times of the judges. But God was reconciling the likes of a foreigner and shameful woman like Rahab, and then redeeming a bitter woman, Naomi, so that through the love and justice and care of those like Boaz, David would be born, and Israel would have a king. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah. 
and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. The golden age quickly tarnished. David himself fell into sin. And from then on, the family spiraled down to the point of exile. Ten tribes lost. The others found themselves homeless and far from God. But not as far as they feared. For God still watched over this family. Not because they were good, but because God is good. Verse 12. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eliezer. Eliezer, the father of Mathen. The names get real obscure and unknown to us here, don't they? The royalty is diminished. The grand family fades. But not the blessing. God stays faithful. It takes generations, but he is still preparing the way and still protecting the family. Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Jesus is born outside every imagined security. Joseph is not the biological father. This is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus who makes life secure. And verse 17, thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. There really were more all through that. Matthew is making a point. He is saying Jesus is the beginning and the end of our peace, our belonging. He is the fulfillment of the promised king. He is the son of David. All right, let's unpack this a little bit. Let me ask you, what's the first thing you would say if someone asked you about Christmas? Let me tell you what Christmas means, and you would talk about a gift given or received, sing a carol, share an experience or a recipe. The first thing Matthew says about Christmas is a list of names going back about 2,000 years. And if God has been silent in your life, at least to your senses and your understanding, what would you yearn for God to say to you first to break that silence? Would you like to be visited by an angel? See a sign in the heavens? Receive an assurance in your heart that left no doubt God had spoken to you? Have something go your way that you knew to be pure blessing? There's no way it would have happened otherwise. 
What good word or good fortune or good gift would you desire to break the silence and know God is good and is with you now? Well, it's been about 400 years since God last spoke through the prophets to Israel. Now the Holy Spirit breaks that silence as Matthew begins his gospel. And the first thing the triune God says to break the silence is to name names. Let's remember Abraham and David and Jeconiah. We open the Bible and the first words of Christmas, and we're a little puzzled. To begin the Christmas story and the announcement of God's coming in the flesh and God with us, Emmanuel, God begins with a genealogy? There must be a good reason for this, so let's learn from the Holy Spirit. Genesis 1 proclaims creation. Matthew 1 begins a New Testament with a nod toward new. In Genesis 1, 14 created things are mentioned as good. 14 things from God's hand and for his glory. From land and seas to bird and cattle to human beings made in God's likeness. Now Matthew organizes the family tree of Jesus into groups of 14 with Jesus accented as the fulfillment of creation promises and the means of new birth, new creation, new life. The first verse of the New Testament starts with the word translated here as record. Almost identical to Genesis 5, verse 1. This is the written account of Adam's line. That word for written account in the Hebrew is identified as the same Greek word for record. The point being made is that there's a deep and providential connection between the life of Jesus, God's creation, and the life of God's people, Israel. Christmas isn't something out of left field. It's been planned, promised, and now fulfilled. The Old Testament reveals the promise of God's coming. The New Testament reveals God keeping that promise in Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus. He's the beginning and end of God's gracious family gathering, bringing home all who belong to the Lord. Now, there's a lot of worry and violence, war and struggle and sin and its consequences in the Old Testament. But there's a lot of the same going on right now in our day and age. When our fears and worries present themselves to us, we first remember that God is present and at work. You think God has been silent. You feel God is far away. You think there's nothing more God can do for you. And the Spirit reveals God working in one life after another. Here in Matthew 1, for God's redeeming purposes in one family after another, some famous and not so, some broken and some made whole, 
but all loved and noticed in Christ Jesus. God is that faithful and that strong, making promises and keeping them long before the time of our days or our lonely hours. What does God's fulfillment mean? Well, the first gift of Christmas from Matthew 1 is faithfulness. Son of Abraham, Jesus is called. Not literally. And so we know this isn't going to be a literal family tree. We are to think first of God's covenant, God's promised grace. For it was God who came to Abraham. When Abraham was at a dead end, Abraham hadn't asked for God's help or, or presence. Abraham doesn't seem worthy of any special blessing or attention. But graciously, God chose Abraham and made a promise to him. Through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. But Abraham had no heir. Abraham is in old age. He's got no family. God gave him one. God remembered his promise. And God kept it. See, God is that Jesus is also the son of David. That's about ruling. That's about kingship. That's about power. God promised that the family of David would be on the throne. And Jesus now takes up that kingly power and reigns. So God's faithfulness has a purpose to it. Redeeming through hope and care. Jesus is not just anybody. He is the one come to save and be Lord of all. This is both a radical statement and a relief for the people of God. Because by the time Matthew writes this, Israel is not so sure she will ever have a king again. Not because God wasn't faithful, but because Israel wasn't. Not because God didn't keep his promise, but because Israel didn't. It's pretty clear that Jesus' family is somewhat obscure not a lot of headliners in that last few generations. He grows up and appears in the Gospels as a man of unimpressive background from an unimportant village until you understand the power of God's promise and gracious working. Look at how God worked out the restoration of his people by tenaciously keeping his promise. We go back to Jeremiah chapter 22. God there with tears in his eyes says, Though you are like Gilead to me, like the summit of Lebanon, though you are beautiful and lovely and all I want, yet God goes on to judge the kings, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, the kings of Judah, and says finally, Record this man is childless. For none of his offspring will sit on the throne of David or rule anymore in Judah. That's it. Done. Matthew lists Jehoiachin here using the alternative name and spelling Jeconiah. And after that, exile, the end. Homelessness. What would happen now? Well, what was happening was oppression under Roman rule, no real home. 
And now we read Jesus is the son of David. King. God restores what has been broken. And we are kept in the promises of God after all. God is faithful. That faithfulness keeps you and me in his loving hands. Our catechism uses the word picture of homelessness, of exile, to describe the consequences of sin in our lives. Sin does this to us. It robs us of being at home with God and with others and even with ourselves. Exile. We are strangers to God and one another. We hide behind excuses. I didn't mean to. We hide behind rationalizations. I'm no worse than you are. We hide behind fear. i got to look after myself. Or we despair. I'll never be good enough. I'll never amount to anything, so why bother? But even if we judge ourselves not fit, and even if we don't feel like we belong, just look at the family tree of Jesus here. Let me ask you, if Jesus held the family reunion and invited his family from all of history and then asked you to attend, Would you? I mean, just look who's at this table. Abraham, the father of faith. The one who trusted enough to lay his son Isaac on the altar. David is there, the great and powerful king. The psalmist. The guy who killed the bear and the lion to protect the sheep. Boaz is there, the man who put his whole future on the line just to do right by a distant relative. And Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived except for Jesus. I mean, would you like to have to sit right next to Solomon and have a conversation with him? How could you or I ever feel at home in such company? By grace alone. Which is what each one of them would say as well. Aren't you too a child of God's promise? Aren't you a sinner saved by grace? Doesn't the Lord know you by name, by heart? Called to act in love, live by faith, rest and hope, be strong in the Lord. Look again at this family. Sure, Abraham is there, but because of God's grace, not Abraham's good, David, too, sure, he's a man after God's own heart, but his divided heart chased after Bathsheba and committed murder to cover up what he did. And then Matthew lists four women, five if you count Mary. It's not something usually done. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, then Uriah's wife, who was Bathsheba. There's a story surrounding each one of these women, but you won't hear these stories in Sunday school. They're too PG-13 for that crowd. Tamar disguised herself as a prostitute to get what she deserved. Rahab was a prostitute. Ruth was a foreigner. So if Matthew is trying to show a regal and pure line from which Jesus came, well, you just won't find that here. And you've already heard about the David-Bathsheba affair. 
And then there were questions surrounding Joseph and Mary as well. So that even later in life, the Pharisees would accuse Jesus. Tell us, come on, tell us who really was your father. Now maybe I don't want to associate with this family. Not because I'm intimidated, but because I'm offended. You think you feel uncomfortable sitting next to Solomon? How about sitting between Tamar and Rahab? These women remind us that we belong, that we find purpose and meaning and identity in our life by God's favor, not our feats. Their stories teach us that God often makes use of things that we would write off. God's story is not always written in the way that we expect nor are his promises fulfilled that way. But the cross tells us that God can make something good out of the most evil of circumstances. God's power to redeem is that strong and that loving. And it is shown here at Christmas when we're introduced to Mary. Mary is given prominence. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. We recognize that even Jesus' birth is by grace, for it is outside of every genealogical security. Joseph isn't the biological father, for this is a work of the Holy Spirit of God. Matthew shows that Jesus is the beginning and the end of this family by the providence and mercy of the Lord God because God kept it so. Not because the family finally got it right. It is only by his choosing to love them that they are accepted, remembered, forgiven, and brought home. So will we humbly accept the reality of this grace? Will we lay down our weapons of measuring up to each other, of controlling others, of insisting on our own rights and ways, and honor God's choosings? Will we receive the gift of God's kindnesses, so that we become well-skilled in generosity, in forgiveness, in loving when we do not like, in including the excluded, and serving without want of reward or gain. And so it begins to dawn on us that Christmas offers you a gift that you won't find on Black Friday or Cyber Monday. It turns out that Matthew is concerned to give us the history of Jesus' ancestry to point to the future that we have with God who has set us free. We know this because it looks like in the end that Matthew can't count. I don't know if you were counting along as we were reading the scripture, but there looks like a problem with Matthew's addition. Did you see that? 
Well, it can't be true Matthew can't count because he made a living as a tax collector, an accountant of sorts. So you could bet he knew numbers. He shows us how much he loves numbers by organizing Jesus' ancestry into groups of 14. He even makes sure that we see it, those of us who are challenged mathematically, by pointing it out. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Big problem, though. There aren't 14 generations listed in the last group. There's only 13. So what's going on? Did Matthew make a mistake? Not one chapter into the New Testament and a mistake already? No. Matthew would have us look not only backward to God's care, but forward to God's transforming of our lives, too. Christmas is for you and me today, too. Our identity in Christ is the most lasting present Christmas gives. You see, the first readers of this would think of the Exodus as they got through this list. Set free from slavery to be God's people. How did I get that? Well, you see, Matthew's three sets of 14 equal how many? 42. 42 generational moves. Matthew lists 42 generations in all, he says. And obviously there were more than that literally from Abraham to Jesus. But the number 42 meant something to the people of Israel. In Numbers chapter 33, there were 42 stops listed along the way from Egypt to the promised land. The Exodus took 42 moves. The new Exodus in Christ has started. Israel had wandered around 42 places in order to get home. The family of God has wandered through these 42 names to get to the holy carpenter who will finally fashion for God his people an everlasting home. And we move from exile to Christ, from homelessness to belonging, from no peace to peace. But I said there were 13 listed in that last generation, not 14. Why? Because we are the 14th generation. We are those who come after him and live because of his sacrifice. This 14th generation is still being gathered So will you take your place in God's family? Will you invite another to come along and belong with you? To come home and to be free? Do you feel trapped and slaved today due to weakness, bad fortune, a terrible struggle? Jesus is your exit. He has come and calls you to live by faith in him. There were many who questioned him, judged his family, and many who do so today. But for your sake, he went to the cross. 
And our Father in heaven vindicated his sacrifice, raising him to new life, a guarantee of our resurrection. So 14th generation, wake up. It's Christmas morning. Wake up. There's work to be done. Gather round, you band of angels. Gather round the permanent one. Wake up. It's Christmas morning. Wake up. It's Christmas morning. Come and behold the brokenhearted. It's for their sake he has come. Matthew thinks of a word that sums up Christmas first, and he can only come up with fulfillment. And as the Spirit directs him, he says, God does what he promised he would. I can take him at his word. For he has redeemed us in his son, the son of David. And the result, there's a gift to you of new creation. New meaning and purpose for your life. And there's a new exodus. And you are free from your sin and free to serve the Lord with your life. For there is a new king. And we are assured as we go into tomorrow, if we have a tomorrow, that the Lord reigns and brings his peace. This is how Matthew begins the story of Christmas. And this is how we begin our celebration of the month to come. Let's praise him. Amen.